Welcome back to the Meet the Investigators podcast from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your host, Sean McGoey, and I'm an editorial fellow here at ICIJ. It's been a year since ICIJ and BuzzFeed News published the FinCEN files, an investigation into the role that global banks have played in the flow of illicit money worldwide. One of the most compelling stories that emerged from that project came from a newspaper in Niger called L'Evenement. Its founder, Moussa Aksar, helped expose a procurement scandal in which millions of dollars mysteriously disappeared from the country's defense budget and wound up in the coffers of offshore shell companies. Moussa is a French speaker, but fortunately, so is Will Fitzgibbon, reporter extraordinaire and ICIJ's partnership coordinator for Africa and the Middle East. Hey, Will, how are you? I'm well, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So first things first, can you give us a quick introduction to Musa Aksar and why his story is so important in September of 2021? I think the fact that we're doing this interview about Musa in September on the one-year anniversary of the FinCEN files is incredibly well-timed because, as we'll discuss a little bit later, Musa's FinCEN files investigation, in his own words, was probably the biggest thing that he's ever done. The FinCEN Files investigation helped Musa Aksa expose important parts of one of the biggest corruption scandals that's ever hit this impoverished West African country. It's such a small country. Everyone knows investigative reporters like Musa, and they're considered troublemakers. And these are countries where troublemakers can be dealt with and threatened in much more serious ways than they can in the United States. He knew this was a bombshell story. He knew that he would be personally in trouble uh, as a result of publishing this story. And of course, now he is. Now he's been sued in court for defamation. I've worked with him now for five or six years as a reporter at ICOJ. And Musa is someone who, as soon as he enters the room of a meeting of other West African French-speaking reporters, you can feel and see the respect for him. This is someone who has gone to jail repeatedly for his reporting. This is someone who has been arrested and threatened repeatedly for his reporting. Someone who is no stranger to receiving death threats over the phone uh, a few days after he publishes a story. Now, you spoke to Musa recently. Can you tell us the story of how he found his way to a career in investigative journalism? I've chatted to Musa about this a bunch. He's such a colourful character in many ways. He comes from the northern desert region of Niger, a place called Agadez. Musa grew up there as the child of a camel herder. And the way he tells it, he just always had a sense of justice. He dreamt of becoming a judge until he realised that the judicial system in his country was crooked. And then he started working in the radio until very quickly he realised that there were certain stories that he was not allowed to tell by his bosses because stories Musa wanted to tell inevitably focused on companies or people in positions of power that the radio station didn't want to upset. So faced with that, Musa did what many journalists in that region do. He launched his own newspaper. I've been to the offices of L'Evenement, and they're doing much better now. But this is not glamour, you know? L'Evenement in Niamey, Niger, is just a few small rooms, uh, not many computers, you know, fraying newspapers sitting around on the table. It's a, it's a simple operation, but he succeeded in making it so that L'Evenement now has become a byword in his country for impact in investigative journalism. 
the powerful people in Niger know that if they're named on the front page of a Levenmont story, then they're in trouble. Not necessarily in trouble from a legal perspective, because democracy there is still under construction, but in trouble in terms of their name, their story, and their possible wrongdoing being out there. Will, you and I are both based in the U.S., and I think that can carry with it a certain set of assumptions on our part about investigative journalism, both how it's practiced and how it's received. But I'm, I'm really struck by that idea of a democracy under construction. Uh, what did Musa mean by that, and, and how does it affect the way that he works as an investigative journalist? Look, I think one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned working at ICRJ and collaborating with hundreds of journalists around the world is just how different life is as a reporter in different countries. I wake up every morning, if I want I can get myself a coffee, I open my computer and I'm 99% sure that things are going to work. That's just not how investigative reporting works in so many countries around the world, including in Niger. This is a reporter who, as he said himself when he first opened his newspaper, didn't have a computer. This is someone who doesn't have regular access to the internet at his office. And that, I think, continues into the daily practice of investigative reporting. You know, in Niger, you can't just submit a freedom of information request. You can't just call up the spokesman of the Minister of Justice and ask for an interview. Well, of course, none of that stops dogged reporters like Musa from getting their stories. So what happens when those stories actually land? In the United States, in Europe, in other countries, the success of investigative journalism is often based on concrete results. You know, was Donald Trump impeached? Was Donald Trump investigated because of the tax story that the New York Times published? Or did the Prime Minister of Iceland resign as a result of the Panama Papers? And I think what Musa said to me in that interview I had with him was, you can't apply those same objective standards of success or impact to countries where democracy just doesn't function. You know, let's ask ourselves, why did the Prime Minister of Iceland resign after Panama? Probably because Iceland has a bloody strong democracy, which means the pressure of local people actually has some weight. That's just not how it works often in countries like Niger or Nigeria or elsewhere. We've found at ICAJ through painful experience that you can have a politician bang to rights. You can have documents with the politician's passport and signature that basically show black and white money was moved illicitly or illegally, and it doesn't change a thing. And I think Musa's point was, let's measure success differently. Prime ministers and presidents may not have resigned, but it's still a success that investigative journalism, ICOJ and the FinCEN files is known. If you speak to a vegetable seller, Musa said, they're going to be able to recognise FinCEN files, ICOJ or investigative journalism in a way that Musa said they wouldn't even recognise the name of Joe Biden. And I think we as journalists should take a lot of solace and comfort in that kind of long-term subconscious impact almost. This also brings to mind the ongoing situation with our Russian partners who were recently designated as foreign agents by the government. I feel like it must take a supernatural amount of resolve and courage to keep doing this work when the stakes are so high, when you know going in that will likely result in significant adverse consequences for you. Yeah, I think you just have to be so passionate about democracy and about public interest. And that comes across very much so in in Musa's work. He knows he's going to get a shellacking for every story that he publishes in partnership with ICAJ. And that's actually what he wants. He's not interested in doing stories about cats that get lost up trees. 
Musa exists, like so many investigative reporters, to tell those uncomfortable stories that are likely to have lasting impact in his country. And it's, I think, an incredible testament to their courage that they continue to do so. Reporters in many of these countries are routinely offered much better salaries to stop being a reporter. They're offered cars, they're invited to go and work for the United Nations or a bank where they could earn five or ten times what they earn as a reporter. But to their credit, in many of these cases, reporters don't, and I think it speaks to their personal conviction, which, as Musa says, really is the bedrock of investigative journalism. Um, there's an expression along these lines that Musa used when he talked to you, and I'm going to lean on my illustrious high school French education in the hopes that I pronounce it correctly. Uh, pour que les puissants rendent gorge. Can you help explain what that means? I asked Musa about that in our interview because he says it all the time. If I could wear a T-shirt, it would have that phrase on it, que les puissants rendent gorge, which is really a colourful way of saying, as we would in Australia, let's keep the bastards honest. Let's hold powerful people accountable. And it's what drives Musa, it's what drives so many of the reporters in the West African, Central African region who ICAJ works with all the time. And that's why these reporters continue to say yes to joining ICAJ projects. Anytime I call them up and say, guess what, ICAJ's got another leak coming, these reporters jump at the chance because they know that holding the powerful accountable is why they do what they do. Earlier... You mentioned the idea of Musa walking into a room of French-speaking West African reporters and commanding a certain level of respect. Can you talk a little more about the way that he acts as sort of an anchor to bring together similar-spirited journalists from across the region? I find it really touching and quite rare, this West African family for a number of years now from Panama Papers, Paradise Papers, but especially in West Africa Leaks, uh, in 2018 and ever since then, there's a core team of about 15 or 20 West African reporters who believe themselves to be a part of this family. And what that means is they support each other journalistically, but also personally and financially in a whole number of ways. As many listeners might know, one of ICIJ's new members from Benin, Inya Susu, was uh, jailed for about six months, uh, in part following some great investigations Inyas published related to the Panama Papers. And people like Musa really took charge in some ways of supporting Inyas and his family, fundraising for Inyas's wife and his children. When Inyas came out, uh, Musa hosted Inyas at his goat and mango farm uh, in Niamey, for example, just to make sure that the guy was all right, right? There's this spirit of solidarity companionship and professionalism among many of these French-speaking West Africans because they know that they can't do this alone. You could count on one hand, I think, the number of investigative reporters of a similar ilk to Musa or Inyas or Sondrine Sawadugu, who we've spoken to on Meet the Investigators before, who share these values. And that value sharing is what keeps many of them motivated and pushes them to keep reporting uh, on ICIJ projects and outside ICIJ projects too. What is the status of Musa's case today? It's a bit of a schmozzle in Niger, unsurprisingly. So the FinCEN Files investigation came out and then pretty quickly after one of the individuals mentioned in Musa's story filed a defamation case in Niger against Musa. Musa has been called to appear before court two or three times now, I think. Nothing's been adjudicated, nothing's been discussed on its merits. But we know that in Niger, as Musa says, 
the judicial system is not free. The president of the Republic of Niger has significant amounts of control over the judiciary, and guess whose name features in the investigation about the FinCEN files that Musha published? The president of Niger and his office. So I think as non-profits like Reporters Without Borders and Committee to Protect Journalists have said publicly, this is a case that we all should be watching with alarm as an indication of the government of Niger's respect or not of freedom of the press. So what can we do, not, not just us as fellow investigative journalists, but people who think that this work is important, what can we do to help support the mission that Musa and the rest of the West African family is pursuing? There's a bunch of stuff that all of us can do. I'm going to start with the obvious, which is money. You know, these newspapers don't have money. Every time we work with these reporters on ICRJ projects, I spend a bunch of time, you know, scratching around, begging, trying to make pleas to organisations or friendly supporters who can offer $250, because that kind of thing matters. But a simple message of support does a huge amount. For someone like Musa, who is often under pressure from authorities, messages of support that he receives from other journalists or from members of the public around the world saying, hey, I've seen your story, I appreciate it, I'm thankful for your contribution to defending the public interest and holding the powerful accountable, that kind of stuff really matters. If you've just come out of a seven-hour interrogation from the police in your country, you're exhausted, you're tired, all you want is a beer, getting notes like that can be, I think, really mentally valuable and stimulating. Something that I've learned at ICIJ is we as consumers of news in 2021 no longer have the excuse of just reading news from our countries. And we make a huge effort of that with ICIJ projects when we publish international roundups of impacts so that you can have links to stories published in Niger or Nigeria or Namibia or Madagascar, for example. And I think if we really believe in democracy, public interest and investigative journalism around the world, I think taking five minutes to read one of those stories, then sending on Facebook or Twitter a note of thanks or support to the person who's done that is incredibly powerful. And to, to wrap up with, with one more question, uh, is there any advice that Musa imparted for people who have the same passion and drive to do investigative work? Musa's advice to me really was... Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, if you're passionate about investigative journalism, keep your eye on the prize. Keep working on those big stories that, even if nothing happens immediately, will be of ultimate benefit to your country. And I think also Musa lives this, and I see it every time I meet him and work with him. Keep a low profile. Let's be honest, journalism sometimes attracts people who love the limelight people who love being on TV, love being on podcasts, uh, you know. Um, listeners can make their own judgments about what category I fall into. But Musa is someone who really just uh, keeps his head down and works. And I've seen him in action. I've spent a week or two with him in Niger, and we toured the capital city interviewing people. This is a discreet person, and that's really his advice. In order to build sources to engender trust in you as a ethical, reliable journalist, you're going to need to go dark for a little while. Uh, and I think that is good advice, especially in countries where journalists are subject to harassment and to attack. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you very much, Will. We appreciate you being our conduit to Musa, and I'm sure we'll hear from you again when there are more updates on his case. Thank you, Sean. 
That was my chat with Will Fitzgibbon, who coordinates ICIJ's partnerships in Africa and the Middle East when he's not reporting himself. Many thanks to Musa Aksar and to all the journalists who share their stories here on the Meet the Investigators podcast. We'd love to hear from you as well. Don't forget to use the hashtag MeetTheInvestigators if you're posting about this episode on social media, and drop us a line at social at ICIJ.org if you have feedback. Meet the Investigators is a production of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Sean McGoey, with help from Hamish Boland-Rudder. If you'd like to support the work that ICIJ and partners like Musa do, head to icij.org donate or drop us a line via email. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.